Welcome to the London Horror Movie Club, where each episode I try to convince you to watch one of the weird, wild, and wonderful horror films set in London. Season 2 is all about terror on the underground. Timing is everything, and the London Underground is no exception. In the windowless series of tunnels that make up the tube, the only concessions to time are on the station platforms, counting down the minutes until the next train. And yet we're so aware of the time. Those clocks give us hope as the timer ticks down or makes us anxious as we see how late we will be. And of course, our own timing adds drama to the mix. We race from platform to platform. We run down escalators. We even leap into the closing doors of a train as though another will never come along. On the underground, time seems to be heavy with meaning. We're desperate to make good time, to get the next train, and we feel a genuine rush of anger when we've just missed one. Here on the transport system, time is drama. Every train that goes through the system creates little moments of spectacle, joy, or tragedy, as people make or miss doors, get trapped, as trains get delayed in tunnels, as the clock ticks steadily down with nowhere else for us to go, and we watch as one minute turns to zero and the train still hasn't come. That drama can be harnessed on film to create a ticking time bomb for fear. We've talked about missing last trains in films like Creep, or just missing train doors and deathline, these little bits of drama and action can make or break people's fates. Today, I want to introduce a film to our club which has a scene set on Old Street Station that's about the slowly ticking clock aspect. The scene comes from a little-known British-American horror, Tale of the Mummy. This 1998 horror begins with a team of archaeologists unearthing the cursed tomb of Talos in Cairo, and by doing so, they've set in motion a terrible fate. When the planets align on a certain day at the end of the millennium, Talos's vengeful spirit will awaken and seek revenge, and when this day actually comes, Talos's tomb is on exhibition at the British Museum and his minimal remains break out of an exhibition in a wave of bloodshed that's set across London. It's worth noting that for most of this film, Talos's spirit is possessing a clump of mummy wrappings, which were all that was left of him in the tomb. In the form of these bandages, he attacks the spiritual reincarnations of people who dismembered his body centuries earlier. So the attacks somehow still across London, they've all seemed to be reincarnated in one place, are surprising and different each time. And with each new death, Talos's spirit regains part of his bodily form. Yes, the film is as bonkers as it sounds, and when you add in visits to psychics, pagan ceremonies, and a giant fake womb beneath the city of London, you have a sense of how many things this movie tries to wedge into a 115-minute runtime. They're really trying to make the most of this story, and, and bless them, it is very ambitious, but overly so, which makes for a film that feels disjointed and frenzy all at once. This is probably not the film of the year, and there's a reason it probably hasn't lasted in history. So why am I recommending to you a film that is, at best, three stars? Because there's something oddly charming about it. I will admit, I am a softie. I love B-horror movies as much as I love well-crafted scares. I love the magic that's cinema, so I'll hop on board whatever crazy adventure a director tries to take me on. 
but I also do recognize when something doesn't have anything to offer. Like the boring body horror, Mom and Dad, it has no sort of depth or story to the torture and pain, and it seems like they sort of checked out for writing of it. I mean, how do you not make a joke about horror on Heathrow Airport? Um, anyway, sorry, the small distraction, but I do, I, I do have a sense of when something has nothing to offer the audience or very little to offer an audience beyond just shock. And for all its flaws, Tale of the Mummy does contain little bits of magic dust for those willing to jump on board. For people who, who enjoy horror films, I do think this is one that isn't too bad to give it a shot because there's a lot to it, or at least moments to it, that are fun and that you will remember. Obvious examples are some of the smaller roles in the film. This was the last Mummy movie that featured Christopher Lee. He has a cameo at the start of the film as the lead archaeologist of a dig that discovers Talos. As always, Lee's menacing and foreboding, and it makes the first ten minutes of the film very tense and almost gothic. Though, admittedly, that doesn't last. He's really great in the initial scenes. You also have Shelley Duvall in a small role at the climax of the film. She's ethereal as always and can pull a look of terror any actress would envy. So even for those two alone, there's some, some great sort of callbacks to, to people who by the 90s were already very well associated with certain horror films. There's also spots in the film for Gerard Butler and Jack Davenport, who are both well-recognized now, though at the time they were sort of awaiting their larger breakout roles. I believe Jack Davenport's role in um, Towns of Mr. Ripley came out the next year. Now, the main characters, Louise Lombard, Jason Scott Lee, and Sean Pertwee, are good. I'm not saying only these sort of cameos are valuable, but the cameos seem more delightful. You know, we're seeing people we know, we love, and there's sort of a little frisson of joy or a little internal callback to other films that they've made. Obviously, Christopher Leaping Mummy movie. When you see the Shelley Duvall scene, there's a little bit of the sort of Jack Torrance moment. Um, but the, the main characters are really good, and <laughs> to be honest... Part of the problem is they have to look so serious while battling basically an ace bandage, which to their credit, they do very admirably. And and actually, I'd like to put my vote in here for Sean Pertwee. He, he, he missed a BAFTA nod here. He's actually really great in this film. He sort of slowly unravels in a very believable way that reminded me a bit of Kevin Spacey in Seven. So if you're a fan of his, I think you'll love finding this film because he, he's, he's absolutely a rock star in it. Now, the second thing about this film... That, that I think is really likable for, for the viewer is that buried beneath an overly complex plot is a classic horror movie that's really familiar. At its core, Tale of the Mummy is a reimagining of Bram Stoker's novel Jewel of the Seven Stars. That story on its own is compelling enough to have had two previous film adaptations that predate the 90s. The 1980 epic The Awakening, starring Charlton Heston, and the 1971 Blood from the Mummy's Tomb, which of course starred Christopher Lee. I do think both of those are stronger adaptations, but the addition of the 1990s griminess and grit, almost punk, to Tale of the Mummy adds another layer of depth and anxiety, and there's also a sense of apocalypse at the turn of the century, and both of those really work in the film's favor. Now, admittedly, this scrappy 90s grit is in some moments too much or a bit sort of over-leaned on, but I think that, that it makes a solid concept that, that perhaps has gone a bit awry, that, that if you're willing to be open to the film, it adds something to that story. It's the kind of thing that makes you wish they'd, they'd redone it, because there's a lot to like in this movie. 
Now, along with the core of an old-fashioned plot, the director also seems aware of the value of old-school techniques and scares, producing some really rare moments of compelling eeriness and tension throughout the film that I think would fit well in any horror movie. And one of those stardust moments is on the underground. And that brings us very neatly to the central question of this episode in our season. What do the underground add to these horror movies? Like American Werewolf in London, I chose this film for a single scene on the underground. And it's one filled with tension and it's beautifully orchestrated, sort of classic horror directing at its best. The scene comes about midway through the film when Talos is on the loose and one of the archaeologists, Brad, decides the only way to capture him is with the help of a psychic. So he goes and during the reading, the psychic sees through the next victim's eyes and finds herself on the platform of Old Street Station. Talos is about to strike and Brad's not far away, so he leaves. He runs straight out of the psychic reading and heads towards the station. And so this is where you get the classic ticking time bomb. We have our, our heart in our throats as we watch Brad try to reach, as we feel Talos' spirit approaching the next victim, and we have to figure out who the next victim is. Now what gives the scene a twist is that the psychic mentions that the vision on the platform she's seeing is unusually close to the ground. It turns out she's looking through the eyes of a seeing eye dog. This interesting twist, in addition, gives another layer of tension as Brad has to figure out who he needs to get to on the platform. So he, he runs, and as he does, we cut between him and his journey and the platform, where the blind man is waiting with his dog for the next train. A piece of trash flutters, and the dog becomes agitated, sensing the presence of Talos amid the rubbish. A gust of wind starts, a slow tension that builds along with eerie music and increasingly fast camera work as you dodge between the many perspectives of this scene. The dog becomes almost feral, frightening its owner and the surrounding passengers. This is sort of classic, almost pet cemetery behavior. Obviously, the cat didn't bark, but but you get a, a, a really good sense of the, the tension and then added to that the confusion of the people around the dog make the scene feel like almost it's it's building as a cacophony of noise. Now the dog lunges towards the wrappings just as Brad arrives on the platform and he's too late. The dog's dead. It's an amazing buildup of of tension and release and even in that release when Brad rushes to the dead dog's side the blind man mistakes him for the murderer and assaults Brad allowing Talos's wrappings to escape and move on to its next victim. This scene is is very classic, tense horror, but it's so beautifully executed. It's it's worth watching, not just hearing about it. You know, it, I, I can only give you part of the sense of how well it builds up the different perspectives. You go from Brad and the blind man, even the dog and Talos. It plays and weaves these, these moments and it builds beautifully to that climax. And there is something really great about Brad's arrival and then he's seen as the bad guy and so nothing can happen and and it's that lovely sort of combination of things that I think makes that scene even more powerful than necessarily the twist that that the dog is going to be attacked. The scene is anxiety provoking because we know time's running out and you hope against hope that Brad will make it so so there's this classic sense of horror but the underground is really skillfully used in two ways. So first, we have the narrowness of the platform, which means there's almost nowhere for the blind man to go, for the dog to go, for Talos's wrappings to go, and there's very little space for Brad to get anywhere. So the underground creates an additional layer of tension just by its physical space. And of course, you know a train's coming. They're waiting for a train. So you know that they can't use very much of the width of the platform. No one's going to be able to fall on the tracks and survive. So the space itself creates 
an environment where, in the end, the dog and the blind man are literally backed against a wall. And that decrease of space is played with really well. And it also, of course, adds problems to Brad, who's trying to get through the crowd past, past everyone on the platform. At the same time, the other really clever thing is they picked Old Street Station. Now, Old Street Station has a very long escalator for anyone who's been on it, and it's put to great use because Brad's trying to rush to the platform, and because of the makeup of this underground, he seems like he's constantly running, you know, jumping over the escalator steps, going as fast as he can, and it just doesn't seem to end. You're sort of desperate for this escalator to end, and it's it's true if you've ever been on Old Street Station, that escalator feels like it lasts forever. Ever. I know it's not the deepest station, but because it's one of those sort of escalators, rather than breaking up escalators like you have on some of the deeper Jubilee line trains, it feels like forever. And the film uses that sensation of it feeling like forever to make Brad always just out of reach. And so the underground really heightens all of the tension that's already built into that ticking time bomb scene. The inner workings of the underground are both against the victim and they're sort of for the, the, the bad guy. You know, the, the, you've got the dog and the blind man being trapped. You have Brad desperately trying to get to where he needs to be. And yet Talos, because he's a mythical spirit, because he's not limited by any of the reality of the underground, he's able to navigate the tunnels of the tube at any speed. He's able to move around people in ways we can't. And so the underground limits so well the people while the sort of mysticism of Talos and this idea of spiritualness means that he's not hampered by the actuality, the reality of being on the underground. And that adds another layer of sort of this difference of power. And it, it makes it even that more upsetting because you don't realize until the end that, of course, Talos can get in and out so much more easily than everyone else. And so you get a sort of gut-wrenching disappointment that fits the space really well. And so I think the, the underground is, is well used and well thought through in this scene, as well as it being a well-executed ticking time bomb scene of tension. Now, on that note, we're going to end, as usual, on my favorite moment of the film. And this is a weird one, <laughs> so I don't have a favorite moment. Um, this film, as I've said, is bananas, which is what people my age used to call crazy things in the 90s, so it's appropriate to call a 90s film bananas. Um, and, and because it's so bizarre, a little bit B-movie, I, I got charmed by the whole. You know, I, yes, I loved that underground scene, but if you just watch that scene, it's not, it's not gonna blow your mind moment. It's a great horror scene, but it isn't, it isn't, you know, I don't know, I, I feel like you got more out of the tension of the American werewolf scene. I think this is, this is a good classic scene, but there was something extra to, to probably the camera work in that. Uh, sorry, I've gotten slightly diverted. Basically, the whole of the film is what made me truly enjoy it, rather than having particular moments that blew my mind. And and when I did get charmed by this film, I'll be the first to admit it wasn't always for the right reasons. And there's something about that that makes this film very compelling. I burst out laughing when I saw the little floating bandage fly over Piccadilly. Absolutely, I did. It wasn't frightening at all but I will remember it forever. I probably will. It's gonna be one of those moments in the old folks' home I'm gonna be like, oh, do you remember the bandages floating over Piccadilly? And they're gonna go, she is nuts. But it's because it, it did stand out. And it, it's, you know, it's an example of this sort of strange surrealist web that gives me a soft spot for this film. You know, you've got, I mean, later in the film, you've got Brad with this weird carved tattoo on his face and there's something so 90s about it. And I don't know, there's there's some so many 
bizarre things about this film, and it, it isn't the world's greatest film, but it is a really fun film, especially, probably, because I was a 90s kid. I bet, I bet people who weren't around in the 90s or who people who were, who were maybe under 10 years old in the 90s won't get as much out of this film because there's something really 90s about it, too. So instead of having a favorite moment, what I'm going to hope is that I haven't scared you off watching it, but also tell you that... that the movie as a whole does have this charm, you know, stay, maybe watch it for the cameo, maybe watch it for this greatly crafted underground scene so that you've got like a, a spooky moment, but also jump into it as a wild and chaotic ride, you know, hold on to this as, you know, you're going to watch something that's a bit weird and a bit crazy and a bit surreal and it might make you laugh and it might make you giggle in the wrong moments, but you'll have a good time. And that's what I hope you get out of this film. It's certainly what I found my favorite thing about that film was, is that it does charm you somehow. And that's a lovely thing. Thank you so much for listening. Next month, we're returning to a modern classic, something I'm sure all of us have seen. We're going to check out 28 Days Later, but I've got the addition of talking about the deleted scene. So if you're somebody who feels like, oh, 20 Days Later has been done to death, deleted scene on the DLR. There's, there's interesting underground stuff going on. And in the meantime, I hope you take the risk and you watch Tale of the Mummy, if only for Old Street Station. I'm Lauren Jane Barnett, and this is the London Horror Movie Club. 